Hi everyone, welcome to And What Do You Do? This episode, I got the chance to chat to Brendan, who's working at the Science Gallery in Dublin. Uh, rather than talk about the job specifically, uh, job titles and that sort of thing, what we did is we actually talked more about the ethos of where he was working, its place in the local community, and we touched on a wider network uh, as well. It'll all make sense in context, I think. So without further ado, let's get to the interview itself. Okay, well, I have another guest with me, but tell me, who are you and what do you do? Uh, my name's Brendan, and to be honest, uh, rather than saying what I do, maybe saying where I work might help. Uh, I work at the Science Gallery Dublin, and I work on a number of different projects engaging people with science and art. So that seems like a pretty broad remit. Before we tackle what you know specifics, what, what got you there in the first place? Hey, yeah, it's unusual. I guess my background is in uh, is in physics and astronomy and science communication, and uh, I'm I'm over here in Dublin in Ireland. And Science Gallery's been around for about twelve years, and I remember visiting it as a student and looking at it and going, I've I've often seen like science displayed on its own. I've seen art displayed on its own. And I've seen attempts to kind of blend the two together, but I've never seen anything like this. And so at Science Gallery Dublin, I, I went to see an exhibition called Infectious, and I was kissing a Petri dish while also looking at very unusual illustrations of uh, diseases as illustrated in 19th century publications. And I was using, I was tagged with a system to show the spread of infectious diseases. And there was all these different things happening at once, uh, and a resource sparked my imagination. Uh, and so an opportunity came up recently to join the Science Gallery Dublin team. Uh, and I'm there, uh, yeah, working on uh, projects that, as I say, looking at engaging uh, the public and schools in particular uh, with science. So, yeah, I was inspired by an exhibition, kind of went on a different path for a while and, and, and now come back around. So started as a fan and now, and now I work there. Brilliant. So it's it set up a, almost like we might think of as like a like a museum in the sense that there are exhibitions so yeah it's uh i guess centrally that's what started so when you're when you're doing something like that with such a broad remit what is it about you do you think that makes you good at that job is the way your mind works is very broad or do you sort of just have flashes of inspiration or are you or someone that sort of really researches something very specifically it's interesting i've had to kind of stretch my brain a little bit so so in terms of some aspects to to this job of being able to bring is a fusion of my academic background. So um, in terms of, of linking science and science communication uh, and those sort of skills. And, and to be honest, I, I, I'm interested in creativity and art as well. Um, but I guess I bring the tools mostly from, from the, the, the science technology side. But then over the past 10 years of kind of developing skills in terms of engaging stakeholders, uh, doing a little bit of project management, that sort of thing. And if I'm really to kind of boil it down, I guess, maybe maybe it's about sort of, it sounds a bit uh, like I'm massaging my own ego or something, but I think I've got a nice way of working with people in general. So just a friendly disposition in a way of being able to help bring people together. In terms of you're saying you're, you're trying to engage people and there's, there's also an emphasis of or an emphasis on engaging with schools. Are there any barriers to that? You you obviously came to it 
before you actually came to it professionally and were really engaged with it and really enjoyed it. And so I suppose that you were naturally drawn uh, to, to, well, in particular that exhibition. But are there any big barriers to engaging a wider public? Yeah, abs- absolutely. It's um, it's kind of interesting, you know, right now, what the sort of things I'm working on is very much trying to link in with the community, trying to engage people with their local, using their own local lives, their local concerns, what matters most to them. And and uh, when you're trying to engage a wide audience, that's a, that's a very diverse range of different opinions and different tastes. So it's a little bit of an eternal battle of trying to bring something to a wide variety of people that you think is interesting, but you have to test that first of all and say, does it actually, does it actually matter to this person? Do they, do they enjoy it? And um, what do they want to see? So a lot of what I'm doing right now is, is looking at things from a very open perspective and thinking what can, yeah, you know, what area, say for instance, we're taking local challenges that um, people would want to see tackled. What, what are those? Uh, and how can science, technology, and art shed a new light on those challenges and maybe provide solutions? So, so yeah, it's it's a barrier sometimes to try and get all those diverse opinions and produce something that's uh, appealing to a wide audience. And do you do you mainly concentrate on things that are current in the sense that the the kind of concerns or the interests are current, or do you? try and project forward you know using what's going on now to say well okay in, in five years time this that or the other will be really crucial and therefore we should engage with that now is it sort of forward forward based planning or, or or is it more more reactive uh well i guess we're in very interesting times uh, at the moment so we actually have tried to be reactive but at the same time uh, we're still looking at uh, in one of the projects I'm working on is the UN Sustainable Development Goals, linking into right. global challenges and looking for local aspects of those challenges. So there's a little bit of like being led by those, but I'm also going like, hold on, there's a global pandemic. You know, what can we do to help at the moment? And how can we, you know, and it might be from any aspect as well. Anything from care from the elderly for the elderly and vulnerable in these times where people have to self-isolate, uh, or it could be looking at food systems, uh, the environment, uh, hobbies, mental health. So, so yeah, many, many different aspects. But at the same time, Science Gallery has always tried to envisage a future as well, uh, and even drawing a little bit on science fiction as well as current technology. Uh, so it's still forward-looking but it's based on having real impact in the near future. And correct me if I'm wrong, but was Science Gallery Dublin the first science gallery? Because this is almost like a, I don't want to say franchise, that makes it sound uh, like a restaurant, but is Science Gallery Dublin the first science gallery? Yeah, absolutely. It is uh, sort of the birthplace of Science Gallery and the the birthplace for then Science Gallery International. Uh, So uh, there is Science Gallery London, uh, Venice, Bengaluru, Detroit, uh, Atlanta, Melbourne. Uh, some of these are not all in operation yet, and they're all being worked up. So it is this sort of this this wide network, and they're all associated with a university as well. So there is a kind of um, a recipe. Again, it's not like a food franchise, but there is a sort of a formula of having uh, researchers involved from the associated university being embedded in that university but almost being a, a wing on its by itself as well. 
And there's a kind of core mission statement of saying, the first bit of it is basically saying where science and art collide to spark creativity and, and, and innovation and to surprise people as well. So there's a whole mix in there. So there, there's common shared values, but each of the centers across the world are taking their own routes depending on, on their local uh, expertise. And, you know, at the risk of, of meandering into stereotypes, is there anything sort of specifically Irish that you've seen when you compare Science Gallery Dublin to others in these, as you say, network, that's a much better name than a franchise. Thank you. But, it, you know, do you see anything particular? Well, not even just Irish, but, but Dublin flavoured? That's a very good. I actually hadn't. But, you know, it's, it's interesting because I, I was over, I was in London for the past 10 years and my wife had worked uh, for, for Science Gallery London. So I did get a, a little aspect of it. Um, but it's kind of kind of difficult to tell, really. Um, I think because Science Gallery Dublin was a pioneer, I guess, working in a small space, it's seen a lot of experimental iterations of exhibitions. So it's kind of changed quite drastically each time. And then Science Gallery London's got a much bigger space. So I think it's hard, it's hard to really answer that. I haven't seen something that I think, uh, ah, that's Dublin, that's Irish. Not yet anyway. I haven't seen that. But, but I do expect that there, there will be sort of these developments of, of identities across the network. And that's where hopefully the Science Gallery International, as an organization, we can sort of like pass and share between each other and learn each other about each other's cultures and connections. So there's opportunities there for sure. Now that it's been up and running for a while, does it feel like Dublin has sort of accepted it? Is it, is, is it a, a resource that gets used by the, the general public? Do they pay attention to or do they, do they keep up with what's on? Um, or is it very much on a, a particular exhibition might spark a particular type of person's fancy? I think I might... Um... I don't want to second guess audiences, but I think people have grown to kind of know that Science Gallery is going to show something surprising and something different and a twist, something that you wouldn't find in a typical museum or standalone gallery or a science center. They're going to come in and something, usually something odd is going to be in there, quite frankly, that you kind of go that I'd never thought about this subject, whether it's food or water or uh, space in in the, with this perspective so it's kind of got a i think it's got a cult following and um, it's also and um, the target audience for the gallery is 15 to 25 year olds maybe not what you would stereotypically associate with a traditional gallery or traditional museum so it's built up that reputation yeah brilliant so let's imagine for a moment that you know money's no object what, what would your dream project be if you could use the space for anything at all and take all you've learned and put it into practice but as i say you can afford to do whatever you want what, what would what would you put what would you fill science gallery dublin with <laughs> that's a it's a really uh that's a really interesting question to ask at this time uh as well because we'd definitely like i would love to see if like as you say money's no object to basically get as many young people informing what goes into the gallery as possible so that they see a reflection of their selves, their interests, their aspirations, hopes, fears, and everything in between on display. And I guess it's more than like, you know, maybe monetary value is necessarily the thing. It's about a way of doing things that, that they basically feel a sense of ownership in that space. 
uh, we often refer to kind of, I think, galleries or museums as maybe having, especially the older traditional ones, being quite imposing spaces. Uh, and mm. Science Gallery has the opportunity and already sort of has proven a little bit already, quite a bit already, that it's a, it's a welcoming space. But yeah, if you can have students who go in, they see that they meet sort of like-minded people and people with other uh, different opinions as well. And they learn from that. And then also maybe see, I always love the projects where you see the connections between the art provides a, maybe perhaps a new perspective on the science that leads to an innovation that has lasting impact. And you start to see in other places, but it's like it was given birth to in Science Gallery. That's, that's kind of those, those, those sort of golden opportunities. Um, so yeah, more of a community space. That's definitely what I, I would love to see. Brilliant. Well, uh, just getting back to the, the sort of the job specifically, kind of general question, but I, I think it's worth asking, what's the, what's the hardest part of the job? <laughs> um, right now, uh, the hardest part of the job, I guess, is well, doing uh, everything remotely. <laughs> Trying to do this whole thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think uh, the line quality will attest to, to the difficulties that, uh, that we sometimes face with that. But let's for a moment imagine that we don't have to worry about anything like that. Let's imagine the pandemic has, in a nice, nice way, just disappeared. If it was business as usual, so to speak, what do you think would be most difficult? And I don't mean stuff that gets you down necessarily. I just mean the the idea of like a, a challenge, essentially. Yeah, I guess um, a challenge is uh, quite often, maybe in a, in a lot of different jobs, is is making sure that you're doing enough, not doing too much. And doing what you do with with quality and with empathy as well, because um, we often are kind of like, I feel like, um, yeah, it's quite easy to reach out and grab for the next new amazing idea or new thing to work on. We can quite quickly become overloaded. So it's how to kind of manage that. So you're still pushing forward, still progressing. We haven't taken on too much and kind of then then that sort of impacts the quality of the, of the work you do. So, yeah. Being, being frugal in a very rich environment, if that makes any sense. I think so. I think so. Um, in terms of, you know, you're trying to bring science and art together, and let's not say traditionally, but in, in, in the past, there, there, there certainly was a strain of distrust between those two, uh, let's say, disciplines. Do you think that's changing in a general sense, or, or each time you're trying to bring those two together, do you have to start the conversations again? Are they really as far apart as, as they might seem? I think in, in the case of where I'm working in Science Gallery, what, what's really helped is that there isn't a, there isn't like the, the arts department and the science department. It's their staff in Science Gallery who are engaged in either a particular discipline or cross-disciplinary and working together and learning from each other. So for, for me, definitely, I found that the, the whatever gap or, or sort of two cultures aspect you think of, of between science and art isn't as much there as you learn to know a lot about each other. In fact, it was only recently, crux of it was that I um, was chatting to a colleague just today and we were saying there's a lot of shared aspects between science and art in terms of processes, but we might be using a different language or different terminology and actually not recognizing similar processes like um, critical thinking or uh, iterative thinking and the scientific methods coming into art and performance as well. So as I say, it, it, by being in an organization that has 
people from various backgrounds, it really makes that gap between science and art not feel like a gap at all. Uh, and that we're constantly sort of realizing there's more shared aspects than appear on the surface. Brilliant. Well, I've got some bad news for you, Brendan. I'm afraid Uh-oh. <laughs> um, you've been fired from the Science Gallery Dublin. Uh, or maybe not fired. Maybe, maybe you've just stopped. I don't want to cast any aspersions there. So, but you can't do your job anymore, I'm afraid to say. Um, worry not. I've got some alternatives for you. And I'd like you to choose one of the three jobs that I'm going to offer you. Um, we'll get you trained up if you need training. That's fine. And, and I want you to tell me why. What, you know, what is it about you that makes you go for this particular job over the others? So off the top of my head, you can be the Irish diplomat to Ghana. That's, that's, that's one job. You're the, you're the diplomat uh, and your posting is to Ghana. You can be a wine merchant. Or you can, you can be a basket weaver, but really like high end, really arty pieces that you know people like. You weave baskets. I don't know if that's a real job, art basket weaver, but that's that's the jobs. Ooh. What would you like to do out of these three? Quite daft. Well, in fact, the the jobs themselves are not daft, but um, you know, I should should probably have put a bit more thought into uh, inventing them. But which ones do you want, or which one do you want to be from? They're uh, they're they're quite yeah quite disparate uh, professions, which is uh, quite interesting by itself. I don't think I could. I don't really want to leave Ireland, so that kind of that kind of rules out the, the the diplomat job for me. Okay, but I I have to. Go, I think I'd go with wine merchant. I think I'd really like that idea, but there there would be a problem with it in that I'm I'm really only a fan of white wines. So I'd want to be a wine merchant that specializes in white wines because <laughs> I do enjoy drinking it, but I don't enjoy Merlot or Shiraz or anything like that. Okay. So like, a fe- okay, a very specialist wine merchant. Okay. I mean, there might be more involved than just having the wine yourself. I think that's just being a wine drinker. Um... <laughs> yeah. There's a, like, like trying to, uh, yeah, I, I, I do. I do like the idea. Like I've loved watching like um, Sam Neill from Jurassic Park. He's got a vineyard in New Zealand and just seeing where okay. <laughs> uh, sort of those grapes are grown. I've gone on a few vineyard tours. So there's, there's lots of different things like that, but I have, I I've, I've been amazed by where you can, where you can grow grapes. Like it's pretty impressive. Like in Kent, there's plenty of vineyards there. I know I said the country. I have investigated in Ireland and unfortunately, there's just a berry wine is as good as it gets over here. Um, right. Not quite the same thing. But yeah, I think and there's a, there's a science aspect. There's a gastronomy link of food and drink. So there, yeah, there are areas that interest me. Any any thought about the, the basket weaving? Uh, I just I just think I'd mess it up. I think <laughs> I wouldn't be any good. But maybe that could be your, your signature, like weird... Oh, it's Brendan's definitely done this one. It's it's a a cube by mistake. I just I'm just imagining in a in a in a window that's presenting my wares that I've got my finest basket on a lazy Susan that's spinning around slowly and it looks great and then it turns around 180 and it's just completely cracked and mangled. Uh so <laughs> yeah, it would definitely be more of a display piece if it then usable. <laughs> okay, so I think we'll go with the wine merchant. Yeah. Definitely. Excellent. 
Well, thank you very much for speaking to me uh, today, Brendan. Um, yeah, thank you very much. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks very much, Ed. It was great chatting with you. Thanks a million. Cheers. All right. Not much more to say from me, apart from, of course, my thanks once again to Brendan for uh, speaking with me. As always, I'll put links and perhaps some other bits and pieces on andwhatdoyoudo.co.uk, which is the home for the podcast. It's possibly more important uh, than usual this time, so that I can direct you to the online presence of the Science Gallery Dublin, and doubly so since this is coming out, uh, well, of course, as you know, a time when we're all still locked down and possibly feeling a bit miserable. If you want to get in touch, please do. I'd love to hear from you. It's podcast at gmail.com. I'll leave you with that until the next episode, I think. Goodbye for now. Speak soon. Thank you.